Hey, this is Daryl from Snapcase, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And on the show this week, we have Cat L of FOM. They've got an excellent new LP out, Your Life and Nothing Else. If you haven't heard it, you should. And if you haven't seen the band yet and you have the opportunity to do so this year, you better do it. Because sadly, they have just announced their breakup. This will be the last year of the band. And look, we cover all of that with Kat. We talk about the beginning of the band. We talk about the reasons behind the end of the band. We talk about the rise of the band. We talk about the latest record. We talk about everything. It's a great conversation, and it's coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Buy shirts at Deathwish Inc. Head on over there, search The New Scene. We've got t-shirts, we've got a long sleeve shirt, we've got everything. It's getting warmer out, you're going to need a New Scene shirt to show off to everybody. Come on, come on, it's time. Reviews! Have you left a review for the show yet? Hit that five-star button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, did you know you can write a review in Apple Podcasts? If you write a nice review, I'll read it on the air on this section, right here, right now in the show. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. Iodine is just killing it lately with new music, with classic re-releases. They're doing it all. We've got Drowning Man, Busy Signal at the Suicide Hotline. That's available now for pre-order on vinyl. Classic, classic record. We've got the new LP from Jerome's Dream, The Gray In Between. That's up for pre-order. And the third single from the album has just been released. It's called A-A-E-E-A-A, or is that A-E-E, however you pronounce it. The single is out there. Go listen. I love everything I've heard so far. We just had Jeff from Jerome's Dream on the show to co-host with Kurt Ballou's episode. That was a great conversation. I can't wait for the record. I can't wait. Also, we've got the second pressing of Slip by Quicksand. That's available now for pre-order. If you didn't get yours yet, get it. It's going to be gone. I'm telling you, that one's going to go. Sign up for the Iodine email list. You'll find out about everything first if you're on the email list. For more information, head to the Iodine Instagram at Iodine Recordings or to the Iodine website at iodinerecordings.com. And last but not least, don't forget to support this month's sponsor bridge nine records that's right bridge nine records and guess what they're having a record store day label market in the bridge nine warehouse on april 22nd from 10 a.m to 6 p.m they'll have a lot of 2023 record store day releases in stock plus local label pop-ups from iodine recordings and a bunch of other labels don't miss it. There's a lot of great stuff there. The address is 282 Rand Tool Street in Beverly, Massachusetts. 
And you should know that address by now, I mean while you are there, checking out the label market. Go check out the Bridge 9 record store. They've got a great selection of Bridge 9 releases, They've got a great selection of other punk and hardcore releases. They've got shirts. They've got mugs. They've got all kinds of good stuff. This is a great opportunity to head over there, see what's going on, and get your hands on some one-of-a-kind vinyl. For more information, head to bridge9.com. That's bridge, the number 9.com, or head to the Bridge 9 Instagram at bridge9. That's bridge, N-I-N-E. Okay. So, listen. Check back in with me in segment three. I'll tell you what's going on with me. I'll finally tell you the full story of me joining the Darling Fire. We'll cover everything. But right now, we are going to speak to Cat L of FOM. Enjoy. We are here now with Kat from Fame. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here, Kat. You know, Fame has just put out an excellent new record, Your Life and Nothing Else. You just got married recently. We were talking about that through email a little while ago. And I've just read some startling breaking <laughs> news that the band will be ending Come this October after your final show, correct? Yes, it will be. Yes. All right. Well, <laughs> you know what, Kat? We're going to cover all of that and more. Okay. But I want to start with a simple question. Well, it might not be simple depending on everything that's going on, but <laughs> let's get into it. Kat, how are you doing today? You know, today is a good day. Um, it's beautiful here in Washington State. It's like 60 degrees outside and sunny. We're going to cook out for dinner and... Tomorrow's the opening day of baseball and like spring is just such a wonderful time when, you know, all the plants are blooming and the weather gets warmer. And so I'm really good. I'm like very happy and content right now with life. Yeah. Where in Washington state are you? I live in Tacoma, Washington. Oh, home of botch. It's the home of botch. It's the home of seaweed. Um, it's the home of, yeah, some really good 
good music. Um, so yeah, Botch just played here in February, but I was already in Hawaii for my wedding. And so I will see them in the fall instead. Did you consider missing your <laughs> wedding for the Botch gig? I mean, if there's any gig to miss it for. To be honest, <laughs> I may have looked at how do I change our plane tickets to one day later. Um, but then I thought, you know, they're going to end up playing more shows. You know, you get married, hopefully only this one time, which is actually <laughs> my second time. But um, yeah, I actually did think about it. And um, and I'm glad I didn't because, yeah, now we're going to see them in October um, when they play in Portland. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And yeah, I, this is a good time of year. It's brighter out longer. It's warmer. I, I feel hopeful. There's there's many good things going on. It's a, it's a good time to be alive. It sure is. So you got married recently. Yes. Now, how was that? Was it a, was it a large <laughs> affair with many people? Was it a smaller affair? Set the stage for us. Yeah, it was not large. It was very small. There were six people other than us. We made it kind of like an elopement instead of, well, destination wedding in a way, but an elopement. It was just our immediate family who went. Um, and we went to Maui, which if you haven't been, it's absolutely amazing. And I want to, I want to move there one day. It's just, it's so beautiful and people are super chill and it's a very safe place and it's just overall really wonderful. And uh, we just got married near the beach and had a really nice dinner at the Four Seasons after. And I've never had a fancy dinner where they like give you new silverware in between each course. <laughs> and there were like seven courses, um, which by like the fourth course, I was like, I don't think I can fit any more food in my stomach. And it was just, it was perfect. It was, I know people say that about their wedding days, but like it was just the most perfect Day. There was no stress. You know, we just showed up and there was somebody there to marry us and somebody there to take pictures. And we didn't have to like give anybody attention or talk to too many people or, you know, do all of like the typical cake and dance and all of that stuff. So it was just, it was so nice that it was actually just about us and like our family. Yeah, that sounds really nice. If yeah. I ever got married, that sounds like the way I would want to do it. Because number one, going 50, 60, 70,000, however many dollars into debt yeah. just for the wedding. Yeah. Does it just seems silly in this day and age with how out of control the cost of living and everything else is? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, it is a way that I would recommend anybody to get married because like it was just an additional little bit of money on top of just taking a vacation. Like we had planned to go to Hawaii anyway on a vacation. And then we were like, what if we just throw the wedding in? So, you know, it's worth not spending tens of thousands of dollars that people do on weddings for sure. Yeah, there's that. And two, I would feel weird being on display <laughs> um, in, in, in typical wedding fashion, you know, like I don't know, like dances and yeah. tributes and yeah. cake feeding. And I, 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 <laughs> I, some things I like tradition, some things I don't. I, I think yeah. I would just like to have a ceremony, have it be done, get out of there. Yeah. Well, and then a lot of the times, right? Like when you're inviting your family, there's like family you don't really talk to that much. And then there's like 
all these people you have to invite that your family wants to go. And you're like, I don't even know who some of these people at my wedding are. And all you (laughs) want are like your friends and like your closest family members. So it's not being somebody who's on stage often. um, Yeah. Having a whole bunch of people looking at me uh, would make me not very happy. Yeah. You probably want to break from that in your uh, regular life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So you grew up in Denver, Colorado, correct? No. (laughs) No? I actually, I've lived in so many places. I grew up in Northwest Indiana, the region, as people call it. It's about 20 minutes outside of Chicago. So I grew up in like the 80s and 90s in Chicago, which was a really great time, especially the 90s for music. Oh, yeah. Smashing Pumpkins, everything. Oh, yeah. Smashing Pumpkins, I saw – that was like one of my first concerts was when they put out Melancholy. But then just having bands like the Get Up Kids play all the time or Braid play all the time. You know, I saw Dillinger 4 play all the time. Like it's just the Midwest had so much going on. Yeah. And then I moved out here to Washington to go to college. And I stayed here for a couple of years and I was like an angsty 18 to 20 year old and like didn't go in nature. And I was like, I don't like that. There's no sun. I'm going to move to Boston because I thought Boston might be better in the winter. (laughs) And then I lived out in New England for like 12 years and then I moved to Colorado. Ah, Yes. So so all this moving, were you just moving by yourself or were you still living with your family? What was the deal? Yeah, good good question. Yeah, I did most of it by myself. Um, it's just kind of how my family has always been. Um, my sister has been the same way where she's moved around a lot. Um, my mom raised us very independently and we wanted to get out of being in the Midwest as these like kind of young feminist punk girls and thought the coasts would be better. Um, and in ways they are. Um, yeah, I moved out. I moved to college in Washington by myself and then to Boston by myself. And then I moved to Colorado by myself. Um, and then when I moved back here to Washington, it was with my now husband, Joey. So most of the time, yeah, by my by myself. I'm very comfortable doing that, going somewhere new and making friends, finding friends, starting a little social circle. How old are you when you start all of this moving? I was 18. Yeah. Wow. It was right after high school. I'm uh, I'm always impressed by people who can do things like that when they're so <laughs> young. Because look, yeah. there was a lot that I could do when I was young, but there was definitely a lot that I couldn't do as well. So for someone to pick up and move across the country and back, I, I would have been completely incapable of that. I mean, I made some pretty poor financial decisions um, that took me a long time to get out of, you know, and at the same time, like I do envy people who have kind of stayed in a general area or who have moved and moved back because they have, I have a lot of amazing friends that live all over the world, but like all over the country, right? But I don't have that real, like that small circle of friends that I've known forever that I see all the time. That's like the hardest thing is like knowing people who have grown up somewhere and they have that group of friends that they are so close to and that they spend so much time with. So that's hard. That's hard, especially because my family also lives all spread out. Um, My sister lives here in Tacoma now, um, but my parents live in Virginia and the rest of my 
you know, extended family lives in Indiana and Illinois and Wisconsin and Arizona, you know, like they're all over the place. Yeah. You know, I do miss the really close knit tight group of friends. I moved to New York City from Philadelphia in 2012. Mm -hmm. And it took me like 10 years to make a social circle here. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I first moved here, I every time a holiday would pass, I would look at Instagram and everyone would be hanging out together and I'd be sitting home and I'd be like, Oh, man, what am I doing? (laughs) I understand that. Yeah, yeah. And especially like, like I said, I've been really good at like making those kinds of social circles. But ever since we moved out here, because I didn't move by myself and I moved with Joey and my sister was here and I did have some a couple of friends that I've stayed friends with since I went to college out here. It's been very hard for me to like make a circle of friends. Um, and also just the fact that like lots of people live in Seattle and not Tacoma. And while it's only like 30 miles apart, it's hard <laughs> to get people to go to either place. So um, yeah, that's something that I do have a hole in my heart for. There has to be some sort of activity or thing, you know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I used to just go to bars all the time and get wasted, yeah. but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so now that I don't know, you need to take like a pottery class or a karate yeah. class or something. I've thought about that. When I moved to um, Colorado, I joined, I had played roller derby on the East Coast, but I joined roller derby in Colorado for that reason was um, to make friends. And I've thought about doing that here, but my schedule just doesn't allow it. But I actually used, and I highly recommend this to people, (laughs) I actually used what's called Bumble BFF. So it's like the dating app, but you find friends on it. And I actually made a couple of really good friends off of that. But yeah, I've thought about joining something. I mean, I still go to shows and I have friends that go to shows, but I would also like to extend my friend circle a little bit outside of hardcore. So yeah. Yeah. It's good to have uh, different groups of friends. I have friends uh, in all kinds of circles. So you get different flavors of people. For sure. For sure. Um, so talk about your relationship with music. Has it always been an interest for you? Um, it has. I grew up in a house um, that was always listening to music and good and good music. My mom was always really into music. Um, I always remember putting on like Bruce Springsteen records as a kid and she like really loved dire straits and talking heads. Um, and when she met my stepdad, he moved into our house with like a thousand records in a collection. And so we were just always surrounded by music. They were always taking us to like concerts and like little festivals. Like we always went to like blues concerts, tons of blues concerts and like blues festivals as a kid and not like any like big names or anything, just like local blues musicians. And then there would be these like summer concerts that would happen at like our county fairgrounds every year that they would bring us to. And one year it was like the Lemonheads and Squeeze, I think. Um, But they were, yeah, they were always taking us to concerts and, and it was always like rock, rock music. Right. And so I of course was like a, you know, an eight, nine year old girl who loved New Kids on the Block. Cause how could you not? Right. Um, and Debbie Gibson and Madonna and all that pop music too. But then when I was in middle school, my sister hit high school, she started discovering like punk and hardcore and all that stuff. And so she started getting me into that when I was in middle school. 
And I think kind of her, one of her first segues was like Weezer and then Green Day. And so she got me into that. And then she started getting into more quote unquote underground punk, I guess, like not mainstream stuff. And she was a huge influence on me for that. And then once I hit high school, my mom started letting me go to like local shows. Um, My dad would have to drive me, Um, but (laughs) it would be local shows or he would even like drive me and my friends into Chicago to go to concerts, you know, see Green Day or I really loved like grunge as well. So like silver chair and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And he would like wait afterwards so that we would always wait at like the backstage, right. To like meet these people and get an autograph. And he was like, so nice that he would like wait till like 11 o'clock at night, you know, for us to like meet the band and then he would drive us home. So I felt like I was always really supported and being really into music. That's really nice that, you yeah. know, they gave you this interest. They took you to shows. They waited for you outside of shows. That's good parenting. For sure. Yeah. They were excellent at just like really supporting what we were interested in. And I think they saw that music was like, you know, obviously kids get in trouble and stuff um, in punk, but like, I think they saw that there are other things I could have been doing with my time. And I was a really good student, you know, I got really good grades and I played soccer and I was in band and I was in theater. So I did like plenty of extracurriculars. And so I think they were just very supportive of my interests. It's a good environment for kids to be in because, you know, I don't know about every scene or even your scene coming up, but like, we were just a bunch of nerds. Like, yeah, we were nerds. <laughs> and we like, like, just watch like to watch movies or play video games and and then go to these crazy shows. It, and people weren't into drugs or drinking, at least in the beginning. So it was safe. That's totally how it was. Yeah, we were just a bunch of nerds that sat around and talked about music and watched movies. And like, I think the worst thing we ever did was like, you know, toilet paper a house or egg a house or, you know, and stuff, dumb kid <laughs> stuff that like, whatever, but we never did anything worse or harder, you know, um, to, to get in trouble. And so I think that they trusted me and my friends in that way. Talk about your relationship with punk. Like, where did you come in? Was there any particular band or bands or show that you saw that really sold you on this whole thing? Yeah. Um, whoo, that's a really good question. It's funny. I always get asked that question about hardcore, you know? Um, yeah. But I never think back to like my early youth of punk. It was probably, well, I mean, Green Day, of course, but if I'm thinking about like not, you know, major label punk, we had my sister or I had like a, a tape, like a VCR tape, right? Of like music videos, you know? And one of them had, Blink-182 Oh yes, on it, and it had The Descendants on it. And so I think that that was a big introduction. No, the big introduction for me <laughs> was actually Jawbreaker. Yes. My sister was obsessed with Jawbreaker, absolutely obsessed with Jawbreaker. And so naturally, I got into it. And when Dear You came out, um, I was 14, Dear You came out. And I loved it because it had, you know, it had like a little bit of a pop sound to some of it. And then it had like the emo sound to it too. Um, And she took me to see Jawbreaker when I was 
14 or 15. And so this was like, I had gotten into Green Day and Weezer, and then she took me to see Jawbreaker. And I fell in love. And they played with the Smoking Popes. And so then I fell in love with the Smoking Popes, you know? And then I was like, what other bands are like this, you know? And um, I think that it was like, almost like, quote unquote, emo got me into it. And then I started finding like, videos, like the one with the descendants in, in Blink-182. And then I went to Warp Tour, you know? So it's weird to think back on like how I got into it because nowadays kids just go on like Spotify and find related artists. Yeah. <laughs> but back then, yeah, you had to like really search or, you know, there, our radio station Q101 at the time had like an hour where they played like punk or they played like local punk, right? And so I would go and listen and I would like tape the songs that were played on that. And I think, yeah, that's just kind of how I did it was like one thing led to another led to another, but it was probably Jawbreaker was the band that really opened things up for me. Nice. And tell us about some of your trajectory like into other areas of punk, like hardcore and things you were into. Like me, you know, there was the grunge explosion that happened in 90. I remember fourth grade, 1992. That's when I heard about Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Stone Topo Pilots, all that stuff. Yeah. And then later I got into new metal because I was, ah. I was looking for <laughs> something like more dangerous and that was starting to happen. So that was the era of like Korn's second album and yeah. Deftones and a couple of things. And then shortly after that, Hardcore, and at the time it was Dillinger Escape Plan, Coles, Converge, Caven, yeah, all the really good crossover stuff, and that took me to emo, post-hardcore, post-rock. I've had an era with everything basically over the years. What about you? I never had a new metal era. <laughs> never got into new metal. None um, of it. No, not even the first Corn album. No, no. I think the closest I got was like thinking the Deftones were okay. Yeah. I was like a high school elitist a little bit, I think. <laughs> I remember friends, I remember friends coming to high school when Slipknot came out and they were like, this is the hardest thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, have you heard Earth Crisis? <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, I think it started with grunge, obviously, um, still huge. I mean, that's still something I listen to all the time. I listen to Hole and Bush and Nirvana. And I even still listen to Pearl Jam. Like I love grunge. And then it was kind of that like emo, um, Chawbreaker and the Get Up Kids and Braid and all in Smoking Popes and stuff like that. And then I, at the same time as that, I kind of, I kind of meshed a lot of stuff together at the same time. And that was like punk. So like, I love no effects, right? I was a huge no effects fan um, and pop punk as well, right? Like I really liked Blink-182 and I was a teenage girl who really loved MXPX and, you know, all of that and ska as well. Like I loved ska. I loved it all. And it was all just like punk to me. And then out of that, my sister told me about like Earth Crisis because she was like, I think you're straight edge. And I was like, what does that mean? And she's like, listen to Earth Crisis. And I was like, okay. So then I got into Earth Crisis. And somehow from there, I got really into Snapcase. Yes. And Snapcase was the band that like got me into hardcore without knowing what hardcore was. Like I did not know that that was a genre of music. I just thought it was punk. 
Yeah, they were definitely a turning point band for me. I still listen to progression through unlearning yes. to this day yes. because there's is there's just something about it. It's not too metallic and tough like yeah. Earth Crisis. It's not too alternative. It's like the perfect mix of everything. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't really listen to a lot of hardcore. I listened to Snapcase and then like I think I heard like One King Down from that. And like Stretch Armstrong and like they all kind of like fit a little bit together in that like metallic, but without being like too heavy. And so I moved out here to Washington for college and I went to go see the movie Life play. Um, And this was back when like pop punk bands toured with hardcore bands, right? So I went to go see the movie Life play and it was on my birthday. It was like my 19th birthday and I was so excited and they canceled because that was when they got in their really bad van accident. And I didn't know till I got to the show and they were playing with Bane. And so I stayed and I watched Bane and I was like, what the hell is this? Like, where am I? Who are these people? What is going on? And so that was like where I discovered what hardcore was, like what the subgenre of hardcore was. And so I think like even still today, I have a really hard time kind of separating it all. I just see everything as punk. And so when I talk about like this band, I just see it as a punk band, but I get that it's like a hardcore band. But that's when I got really into hardcore was with Bane. I kind of separated too. Like punk to me is Green Day and Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, Descendants and like all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And hardcore to me is like Bane and Earth Crisis and One King Down and all that. And I just say punk is like, an overall general thing because for there's, sure there's so many subgenres who can keep track of them all these days for sure and their meanings have changed so much over the years oh yes they have like the word emo just drives me crazy because <laughs> like uh my chemical romance is not emo <laughs> you know <laughs> when i think of emo i think of like actual like sunny day real estate or rights of spring or like you know that kind of post hardcore that was like what was considered emo. But my idea of emo is different than other people's. Some people might not even consider sunny day real estate emo. It just depends on who you're talking to. Yes. I've I've had this same conversation about youth crew and what I consider youth crew and what other people consider youth crew. Because we had somebody call our band after like our first seven inch a youth crew band. And I was like, absolutely not. No. We're not youth crew. No. But their definition of youth crew was just very different than mine. I'm not a fan of youth crew. Like, it's just not my thing. Um, Except for like, I like the first step (laughs) for some reason. So yeah, it's like so interesting how genres are really um, up to each person's, they're relative, they're up to each person's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Youth crew is not my favorite. Like, I mean, when you come (laughs) into this thing, listening to Dillinger Escape Plan, how do you go back to youth crew? You you (laughs) can't, you just can't. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you decide you wanted to start performing in bands? And how does that happen? Um, So I never even thought of ever being in a band um, for a really long time. I guess it's probably because I didn't see a lot of women in bands. So I guess I never never saw myself on stage. So I never um, thought of doing it. And then... When I was like 25, my ex was like, you're always yelling (laughs) about how bad 
of drivers people are. You have such terrible road rage. Let's just start like a fun, hardcore band called Road Rage. And then you can just yell about stuff. And I was like, that sounds good. Um, so we started a fun, you know, a joke hardcore band like many bands do. And did that for a few years. And it was just fun. And it was just local in Boston. And People didn't really care, and I totally understand why. I don't, you know, we were fine. We weren't that great. And it was at a time where, like, I think I was one of the only women in a hardcore band in New England. And so I just never felt like I had a place. And then after that, it kind of started to explode with more women being involved in bands, which was really cool. And then I just never thought again I would start a band. Uh, it was, I think, 2016. Yeah, it was the last Bane show. Um, I was just having a conversation with a friend, and uh, and I was like, I need to, I need to start a band again. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a band. And it was partly because I wanted to be more involved in what Denver hardcore was because I didn't know it that well, and I thought starting a band means you know we'll get to play shows and I'll meet more people and see who the other local bands are. And so that did happen, which was awesome. And also because, again, there were not a ton of women. There were more women at that time involved in Denver Hardcore than there are now, but there weren't a ton of women. And because, you know, 2016 was like a big year of talking about like predatory behavior Mm -hmm. in the hardcore scene. And, um, And I was like really sick and tired of it not being talked about like on stage, you know, <laughs> um, I went to that, I went to those last Bane shows and nobody had anything to say about it. And that was really frustrating because you feel like people are blowing off something that's has been a part of your existence and hardcore as a woman. Everybody was having all these side conversations, but nobody was talking about it on stage. And, and I totally understand that maybe a lot of people weren't comfortable talking about it, but at the same time, it it made me not feel very included. Um, and so, yeah, that's why we started our band. And I never – we never thought we were going to do anything except play local shows. Like it was just going to be another local band and then it that changed. Around what year were you doing Road Rage? Oh, 2006 to 2010, I think. Oh, it lasted that long. It did, but we didn't play often. It was like, oh, we'll play a couple shows here and there, put out like a seven inch, you know. Um, but it wasn't anything that ever like took up space in my mind or like any energy or effort. It was just we would play sometimes. It's good that there's much better representation now in the scene of not just dudes or not just white dudes. Because when I came into this thing, I can only think of at least for more well-known bands, I can only think of two women in bands. There was Allison from Fast Times and Candace from Walls of Jericho. Those are the those are the two big ones I can think of from that time. And there and there was the female guitarist in Most Precious Blood who was in Indecision. Oh, Rachel too, right? Rachel, yeah. And that was like it, right? And I didn't know how to play guitar, so yeah, I was like, oh, I could be like Walls of Jericho, and that's it. And that wasn't really my thing. That wasn't my kind of hardcore. And uh, it's good. I mean, you saw something lacking that you wanted to be present in music. Mm-hmm. So you went ahead mm-hmm. and did it. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. Thanks. <laughs> 
So talk about the beginning of fame. How do we get it together? Who's involved? Yeah. Um, well, first, <laughs> it's pronounced FOM, FOM, which is a French word. So don't apologize for not pronouncing it correctly. We take any pronunciation of that word. Um, okay. How do we start it? Well, uh, our band is all transplants. So nobody was from Denver. And our guitarist, Chris, we have two guitarists, Chris. Chris One, who is our blonde guitarist that's a lawyer. He and our bass player at the time, Matt, I met them and was like, let's start a band. And then Matt was like, I know this kid, Nick, who just moved here that plays drums. And so we were like, cool, let's start a band together because none of us really knew anybody in Denver. So it was like a great way to make a group of friends. And so we just started practicing and we had fun. And and then like mm, eight months later, our other guitarist, Chris too, moved out to Denver from Providence, Rhode Island. And I was the person he knew. Um, and I was like, you should join our band because you play guitar. And so it was like pretty easy to put together because there are so many people moving to Denver all the time. Um, so I just like snagged people at the right moment to start the band. And we all had grown up in hardcore scenes. Nick was in California. Matt was in Florida. Chris is from North Carolina and lived in D.C. and Philly. Um, and then the other Chris is from Providence. And so we had all been parts of different hardcore scenes around the country and then started our band together in Denver and um, we're influenced by kind of the same like early 2000s style hardcore. You know, if you think of like American Nightmare and Panic and Hope Con and Count Me Out and, you know, that kind of stuff. That was the stuff that we all had in common. And then because we had so many other types of music that we don't have in common within like the punk genre. And so that's kind of how we started our band. We knew we wanted to be political because – at least for Chris and I, like that was a huge part of being in punk for us was, you know, being active in the social scene in a way. Um, how are we trying to better the world for people? And so we felt like that had kind of slipped out a little bit of hardcore and we wanted to bring that back, at least for us. And so we knew we wanted to be political and just be kind of like a hardcore punk band. Yeah, I, I think that's back now. Which is good because throughout most of the 2000s, it was like flare jeans and haircuts and yeah. <laughs> spiky belts. It, it really took a turn, almost like a glam metal thing. But I think it's circled back around now to more issues and more awareness. And that, that's much more prevalent in the scene again. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe we were like, I don't know. Once you know Obama was elected, I think people kind of got really complacent for eight years with the state of the world. And so maybe didn't feel like they had to have those conversations as much. Right. Yeah, that's a good point because, uh, yeah, there was the George Bush years through the 2000s. And we know there was yeah. a lot of uh, there was a lot of band statements during that time, for sure. Yeah. OK, so fame is together. We're playing shows in Washington, right? In Denver. And, oh, you're in Denver, in Denver at that point. Yeah. Yes. I'm at I'm in Denver at that point. So we're playing shows in Denver. And we recorded a demo, and we recorded that with my now husband, Joey. That's how I met him. Mm -hmm. Thank you to my friend, Alvino, who introduced us. And then 
we just like people just wanted to see us play and like the scene was growing in Denver. It was getting really cool and there were great bands and we decided to our friend Adam who started Convulse Records. Um, he was like, I'm starting this record label. I want to put out a seven inch by you. And I was like, man, I'm going to move to Washington, but okay. And so he put out a seven inch for us. It was like his first recording he put out. He had no clue what he was doing, but he's figured it out since. And I was like, well, I don't want to like have him put out these like 307 inches and then not help him sell them. So maybe we should go on tour. And so I was already living in Washington. I had already moved to Tacoma when we started touring as a band. And we went to, where did we go? The Pacific Northwest. And we did California. And it was, it went really well. And then... Chris was like, let's try to go to Europe. And I was like, let's go to Europe. And we booked a European tour that was like really successful. Really? Yeah. It was like, we booked it. It was like DIY, but we like... How did you do it? Did did people have contacts? Or I, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, we got contacts. I don't even remember how we got contacts. I think we like used a whole bunch of like different websites and people to get contacts. And somehow we booked, it was like, we also did like 11 countries. Like we were insane where we went. We went all over the place. Wow. We went to Serbia because I'm Serbian. And I was like, we have to go to Serbia. My sister told me the hardcore scene there is awesome. And it was. Really? Oh yeah. So Serbia is amazing. And the people there are amazing. And everybody should play in Novi Sad, Serbia. It's amazing. And we played Fluff Fest at the end. We played like a pre-Fluff show in Prague and then played Fluff Fest. And like people were like singing along to us. <laughs> and like they were like really excited to see us. And we like sold all of our merch. And I was like, what is going on? This is crazy. And we were like, okay, I guess we'll like make a full length. And so we're like, we'll make a full length and we'll tour on it. And we'll try to go to Europe one more time because why not? And we made a full length and then COVID happened. And then we just sat on our full length for like two years. And that sucked so much. And um, but it's it did really well. Was that the debut full length? Yes. Yes. Hollow Hope. Yeah. So we had to wait to to tour. You know, we had all these tour plans for it. And we had to wait. And we were like, well, we still want to do those tour plans. And then because of COVID, we wrote another record. And then we we're like, okay, well, I guess we'll record another record. <laughs> and so we did that. And so now we have all these tour plans for um, your life and nothing else. So uh, all of our touring and all of like the seri- seriousness of this band has been since I've lived here in Tacoma. And it's just really hard. It's really hard long distance. How did people in Europe get wind of you when you just have the seven inch on it? Did you have stuff up on YouTube and Spotify and everything? Like, yeah, yeah, we had stuff up on like Spotify and stuff. And then I think because we played Fluff and like the pre Fluff show, people like went and listened ah. to like the bands that were playing that. But then, yeah, we played other cities where I think maybe just people in Europe might be like really good about like listening to new bands. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
that's that's why it's so fascinating because the idea yeah. of someone seeing a band and then going and finding them and listening to them it's like it doesn't happen as much here yeah it doesn't does it no yeah it's pretty wild um i think they're just like really enthusiastic about it there and so you know while like maybe most of the shows people didn't know any of our songs because it was a punk show in their city there was still a bunch of people at most of the shows so i don't think we had like a bad show in europe i think they were all really great we were like we came home and we're like it feels like that shouldn't have been as successful as it was (laughs) Um, but maybe that's the beauty of punk right yeah, I mean, first time in Europe, 11 countries. I'm envisioning like <laughs> being lost. I don't know how to communicate. I don't have any money. I I don't no one's at the shows. Like I mean, you hear these stories all the time. <laughs> and then about like the Germans being like really honest about how bad your band is, right? Um Is that a thing? I guess it is a thing, but we didn't encounter that, so Maybe it's not a thing anymore, or maybe people just made that up. I don't know. Maybe because we're like kind of adults who like booked it. Like maybe we're like a little smarter about how we booked it. Yeah. And safer about how we booked it. Cause, you know, we were like in our 30s booking a European tour. You know, we knew where to get a van and we just had, I don't even know how we got all our contacts. I think Chris found some like Facebook groups. That were for like European bookers. And I think Chris went on there and was like, we're trying to play these places (laughs) and got like contacts. I remember talking to like one contact in Italy through like WhatsApp. Like that's how we booked it was through WhatsApp. Wow. So yeah. Technology. You got to love it. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah. So uh, you work as an educator, right? I do. So that must have been tough during the pandemic, right? Adjusting to getting online and everything that you guys went through. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to a teacher about that today and how awful it was because I'm what's called an instructional coach. Mm -hmm. So I coach teachers at how to be better teachers. And I work at one school and the pandemic was hard because, you know, the first few months of it was just like, we just have to figure out how to get through the school year get kids work that they can do at home, get kids food cuz I live, you know, I live in a city that has a lot of free and reduced lunch students and so they don't have food at home. And so getting kids food, um getting kids computers so that they can do things online and then by the time we went into year to the second year of COVID for school, I was learning how to teach online. And then teaching my teachers how to teach online. And so it was all new to everybody. And it's so crazy to think back to the beginning of the pandemic and how we had no idea how to do anything online. And now like the capabilities we have with technology. But yeah, it was awful. I hated it. I hated working from home. I had a really hard time concentrating. I just, I need a separation of workspace and home space mm-hmm. um, because I would work like all hours. You know, if, if a teacher texted me at like nine o'clock at night, I'm like, oh, I got to figure out what they want rather than just my typical work hours. So yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that we're back in person. Teaching especially must be difficult remote because it's kids you're dealing with. 
Yeah. And it's elementary kids. I work in an elementary school. They're always up to something. Mm -hmm. Imagine like five-year-olds trying to navigate, you know, getting onto like a Teams meeting to like have a video lesson online and like somehow paying attention to what their teacher is trying to teach them. I mean, the kids were having to learn how to use the technology too. I guess uh, when you're teaching kids, you probably have to like call on them a lot to keep them focused, right? That's what I imagine. Because, uh, you know, at, at work, they used to do these trainings and I would not pay attention, but certain inst- <laughs> certain instructors would call specific people and I would live in fear of that because I didn't want to be embarrassed. So then I would actually pay attention. Online was really hard with that because especially our older students at our school, they would just like keep their camera off. Yeah. And so you're like, are you even there? Are you even there? Like I would see teachers, like I would be in calls with teachers and see them like call on those kids and those kids just wouldn't respond. They just like wouldn't turn on their camera or their mic. They just wouldn't respond. And so that was awful, right? Because you're like, these kids are getting absolutely nothing. They're getting nothing right now. And so it is so great having them back in person, right? Because they are just more engaged you see how much more engaged students are in person, for sure. At least at the elementary level, kids are still, you know, they want to learn, they want to interact with their peers. So yeah, but online was just, it was so hard to watch kids just not learn anything for like a year. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad I graduated high school way before that. I barely mm-hmm. graduated high school. And that was <laughs> that was with me actually being in the school. But if if I was yeah. remote and I could turn off my camera and microphone, yeah. I really wouldn't have gotten anything out of it. Yeah. I remember that being a really huge thing at for both of those years, both in the end of 2020 school year and then the next school year was like, how do we tell if these kids should be graduating? Like, did, did they really get enough credits? Did they really pass these classes? And so that that was hard. And I'm sure for them too, imagine being like a senior in high school and all of a sudden like the end of your senior year is gone. Like you can't see your friends. You don't get to do a graduation. You don't get to have prom. You don't get to finish your classes. And, you know, it made a lot of kids depressed for sure. Yeah, I can see that. I think that would have made me happy because uh, <laughs> I went to my prom, but I really didn't want to go. You know, <laughs> I should. I listened to my mom. I don't know why she's like, "You have to go to your prom. You'll regret if you don't." I don't care about the prom. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care about the prom. But it's all those things, right? From high school that like you'll regret if you don't do. They're yeah. they're your glory days, right? High school are the glory days. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Not, uh, my, nothing good ever happened to me in school. Like every happy memory I have is outside of school. I would agree with that. That's good. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) So pandemic ends. Fom, do we get back out? We're playing gigs. I think we took a while actually. Yeah. We we didn't tour last spring break. We we tried the East Coast last summer and then we all got COVID. Um there was that on top of it, right? Like touring was like a little stressful because like, what if you get COVID and then we got it on the East Coast and that sucked. But we did like California again and we did the Pacific Northwest again and now we're going back to the East Coast. So we didn't do a ton of touring since quote unquote COVID ended, but we're trying to like really pack it in now with the East Coast in Europe. So you will be coming back to the East Coast? 
We are. When? We are coming back to <laughs> starting Saturday. <laughs> oh, this Saturday? Yeah. <laughs> You're kidding yep, me. This Saturday. We have not been good. I I have not been good about like uh, promoting it. Um, <laughs> I've just taken like a huge step back from social media and like I realize how much that puts on like Chris one in our band and I feel very bad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to be better. And we just – we um, probably should have started booking it earlier than we did, but it's booked. So we start in New York on Saturday, which I understand is the same night High Viz is playing. And so if you're not going to High Viz, come to our show at the Broadway. And then we're going down to Richmond, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia. And then we're playing Worcester, Massachusetts. And then we're playing – uh, Peabody, Massachusetts, and Providence, Rhode Island. And those two shows are actually with Catharsis. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we're excited. It's It'll be fun, you know, with it kind of being our first time on the East Coast because we really only played New England last time. I don't think we expect anything crazy. Um, just happy to be getting to see the cherry blossoms in DC and see our friends on the East coast. And if people go to the shows, that's cool. Well, you've got an excellent new LP out as well. Thank you. Your life and nothing else, right? Yes. Yes. We must be very happy about this record, right? This is what got you on my radar. And I think it's really great. Thank you. Yeah, we are happy about this record. I think because it's like much more representative. Well, I think it's a good progress from hollow hope. It's much more representative of like who we are as a band and like kind of the music that we like and the feels that we feel about music. And yeah, it's, it was really fun to write and very therapeutic in a way. And so we're really proud of it. And whether other people like it or not, that's fine. Um, hopefully they do because it is a good record, but if they don't, we're okay with that because we are very proud. They really should like it. And look, if you don't, I, I question your taste a little bit. I'm just going to say, <laughs> Thank just going to say that. <laughs> no, but it's, it's really good. I mean, it, it's got everything. Like the, the first song is just super heavy and I always love that, but there's, there's some more like melodic heavy stuff mm-hmm. as well. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just an overall good mix of everything. And I recommend it to everybody. Thank you. Was this the other record you said during COVID, like you just started writing again? Did this end up being that record? This ended up being that record. Yes. Is there like COVID influence from uh, writing about being locked down and all that stuff? (laughs) I've talked to other bands who they had stuff planned, right? Mm -hmm. And then the lockdown happened and they just threw away everything they had and they're writing about Mm. uh, what's happening now or then during lockdown, which I think is fascinating. Like what, uh, what kind of influence went into this? Yeah, that is so fascinating. Um, Like what kind of things do you write about? What are some themes? Oh, they're all over the place. Um, A lot of them are about like uh, uh, mental health in ways. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this record, I moved away from that a little bit and no, it's still there. It's still there for sure. There's, you know, just, I write a lot of songs about like in general, like people who just like piss me off, like not <laughs> even like a specific person, but like a group of people in general. Yeah. Um, it's like a way for me to get out my um, frustration towards, you know, people who have a lot of privilege. Often that's white men. And I also, for this record, 
I had like a lot of influence from things I was reading or watching that also like kind of like I felt connected to because it connected to my life in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And so a few of the songs are that they're about like a TV show that I watched or they're about poetry or a book I read. And so, yeah. And then the last song was, I think that was kind of like the COVID song. You know, it was like a, everything is going to shit. The world is a terrible place. How are we going to survive this? You know, like, what's the point anymore? <laughs> so that was probably like the COVID song for sure. That makes sense. I uh, When I write, it's typically about whatever is wrong at the time, you know, yeah. or, or like yeah. it's usually about whatever big thing I recently went through, whatever that is. Yeah. But it makes sense that uh, you're pulling influence from books and television and, and different other artistic mediums as well. Because look, we were stuck inside for however long it was. And I do the same thing. Like if I write, it's usually not about one person. It's like different situations, different perspectives. But then once in a while, I'll just write about something that's not like a person or a situation too. I like to mix it up. Sounds like you do too. Yeah, I sure do. Yeah. On the subject of mental health. Yes. Where do we stand? What do we write about? What do we... What message do we try to get across? Because that's a recurring theme on this show. It's something I talk about because I suffered in active addiction for many years mm -hmm. and thankfully made it on the other side of that. So it's a subject I like talking about and it's uh, something that comes up often on the show. Tell us about your experience. Yeah, I have tried to figure out my mental health for a really long time. Um, I grew up in... I had great parents, right, who were very supportive, but there was a lot of trauma. Um, there was a lot of addiction um, in my family growing up, and I was kind of the one who was acting like everything was fine and dandy. And I think that's partly why I always – I never got into trouble because I felt like I was the one who had to be the good kid who portrayed this, like, perfect family to the world outside. And it made me a very angry person growing up. I was very angry. Um, I had a hard time controlling my anger. I had a hard time establishing relationships with people. Um, big abandonment issues with me, just thinking that people were going to abandon me so I would push people away. I think that's partly why I have moved so much um, because it's easier to just move away than possibly go through that kind of uh, relationship ending. And I, when I moved out here to Washington and we bought a house, I had like a major breakdown. I was like, what am I doing? How is this my life? I hate my life. What's wrong with me? I was like ready to throw everything away. Um, and Joey was amazing and like stuck with me through it. And it took a long time and a lot of therapists and a lot of talking to finally realize that like, I had like a lot of trauma and I had been um, mentally and emotionally abused by an ex. And that is a form of, you know, domestic violence in itself. And um, learning how to let go of things and not be so angry. And I, I had this um, fascination with, and it's, and it's like from having like a form of ADHD from trauma of like 
having these like roller coasters of emotions, you know, the highest highs and the lowest lows. And that's when I felt really alive was like having these super high highs and these super low lows. And so I always wanted to do things that would like give me that super high high. Like if, for example, like if I went and hiked a mountain one week, like the next week it had to be an even better hike with a better view. Otherwise it wasn't worth it. Right. Mm. And then when I would crash, I would crash so hard and I was a mess. And so I just found the right therapist and I found the right way to treat myself um, and to help with that. And it's made such a huge difference in my life. And so that's kind of what I've written about a lot is just like those like feelings of anxiety and those feelings of depression and just wanting to give up and, you know, like, how would that affect other people? How am I affecting other people? Because we do, right? When we have our own mental health issues, it's not just us it affects, it's the people around us as well. And we have to surround ourselves with people who are, who are healthy for us. You know, I've had people in my life who are not healthy for me. They're not healthy for me. And just because they were fun to be around and they were a great friend or we had a lot in common, it doesn't mean we were compatible as friends. And that's like a big word I've learned to use is like compatibility with somebody. So, and a lot of that just stems from what I saw in relationships growing up, right? So, yeah. Well, no, thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, I feel a lot of parallels. And that, yeah, I had such self-hatred for so long, but the thing is, I didn't even know I had it. And I didn't even know until like last, I'm 41, I'm 41 now. I didn't even know until like last year that I could decide who I want to hang out with and who I don't want to hang out with. And I can say, this is not my type of person. And instead of just accepting whatever's in front of me and, and thinking like, oh, the, these are the only people that will ever talk to me again. So this is yeah. it. It's just, you know, it's, it's like a long journey to figure out that you have choices and that you have worth and, and, and all of that stuff. I was 40 when I figured that out as well. <laughs> Good for us, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Took long enough. <laughs> But at least we did, because I mean, when I look back at my entire life now and and all of the things I did and all of the years of being so high and drunk and everything else is I can just see now what the issue was. And I will. I'm just glad I lived uh, to be able to tell this this tale. And I'm sure I'm sure you as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you have a podcast as well. (laughs) I had a podcast. (laughs) No more. We're not going to start it back up. We're not going to start it back up. That was like started during COVID because my friend Sarah and I were like, we need something to do with our lives. And it was really fun. And then like Sarah had a lot of family stuff going on and she lives in England. So it was already hard in the first place to record it. (laughs) Um, That's like a six hour difference. Yeah. Yeah. But once like school kind of started back up and the band was able to kind of start playing some shows, we just decided to call it quits, but it was fun. I think we did like, I don't know how many episodes, like 14 episodes, maybe I could be making that up. It lasted for like a little over a year, but it was fun. We had a good time. Yes. If you're listening, check out Double Daria. The episodes are out there Yeah, waiting for you to listen to them at any time. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We had um, a really great episode that I feel like was like 
kind of like the fate, I guess, of why we did the podcast where we had Maha from No Man. Um, and she was talking about how she's Palestinian and she was talking about, you know, the violence against Palestinians, um, especially in the West Bank and uh, the Gaza Strip. And she was um, raising money for uh, punks uh, for her team, punks for Palestine that was doing like a Gaza 5K. And after we did that episode, she got like, we got so many listens of that episode. And then she got like, so much money donated. It was awesome. And I felt like we just got that, just let more people know about kind of that situation. Because I think even for me, before having a conversation with her, like Israel-Palestine is like a really touchy subject, right? Because because everything that's happened um, with Jewish people during World War II and then like with Israel being like, you know, the colonized state, Mm -hmm. but it being a Jewish country, right? I think people feel really weird about speaking poorly, speaking ill about it, right? But um, it's all about separating, you know, the culture of people who are Jewish from the colonized state and the government, that is Israel. And so I think she opened my eyes and probably a lot of people's eyes to to kind of that situation there. I've seen that in friend groups where if you if the discussion is even had, mm-hmm. if the discussion is even had about Palestine, you know, someone could get accused of anti-Semitism. Yeah. And yeah. it's just there's a lot of history there. And it's a it's yeah. a lot of complicated history that I'm not privy to. It but is. I think we need to be able to have the conversation because I mean, there's things going on on both sides, clearly. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There are things going on on both sides. Yeah. And so I think people just, my cat wants to be pet right now. Um, (laughs) I think people just, um, I think that unsurprisingly, United States media, as well as probably what we're taught in schools, really good about leaving out how Israel was formed and really have just like made Israel like our partner, right? The United States and Israel have always see- been seen as allies. Um, and I mean, even currently with what's happening in Israel with Netanyahu, he's trying to get, he's trying to pretty much get rid of their judicial system and, um, and turn them into like a far right ultra orthodox country. And so even within Israel, there's so many people who are moderate or secular who are like, protesting and fighting against the current Israeli government. So sorry to go off on a on a separate tangent, but <laughs> No, that's okay. We like tangents here. We go off on tangents <laughs> all the time. So let's talk about what we've got coming up. Now there's more touring that's gonna happen. How how much touring will FOM be doing leading up to the final shows in, in October? Not a ton, but just enough. <laughs> um So the East Coast starting April 1st, and then um, we're going to, I think we're doing this. We have to figure out the details. This is how bad we are at this right now. Um, I think we're doing California Memorial Day weekend. So we're going to do Oakland, I think Fresno, because our drummer's from there and we've never played there. And so we want to do that. And then um, San Diego. And then we have Europe that starts July 14th. We're playing Iceland, and then we're going, starting in Berlin on July 16th, we're playing a fest called My People Records Fest, 
and then playing around Europe and ending, we're playing Fluff Fest and then ending on July 29th. And then our last show will be in October. Is the last show set? Is the date and venue set? Uh, The dates are kind of set. I'll say they're set because we're going to do two nights. Not sure the, like, if we're going to play a set or like a cover set just for fun on October 13th, because it's Friday the 13th. Oh, and I thought that would be, I know, right? Yeah. And it's October. It's a Friday the 13th in October, which has to be very special. And then so October 14th will be the last show, Saturday, October 14th. And as of right now, it's looking like it's going to be at Seventh Circle, which is like our home in Denver. So we'll keep people updated on that. And you're playing Iceland. Yeah. How'd you book that? The same contact site? No, I um, went to Iceland a really long time ago when I graduated college. And I was walking down the street and I heard like a metal show. And I was like, what is this? There's like a show. And I walked up to the door and the kid opened the door and he was wearing like a hardcore t-shirt. And I was like, let's go to this show. And um, I met people that I've still been friends with and it's been... Oh my God, 18 years that we've been friends. And so I got in touch with them and they helped book us the show in Iceland. That's amazing. I know. So cool. This will be a nice last year of shows to to end it all. It is. How did the band decide that this was going to be it? When does that happen? <laughs> How does the conversation happen? It originally happened before we even put out Hollow Hope because... We're, we're working professionals, you know, we get a certain amount of vacation time and we were spending our vacation time on tour. Yeah. I'm lucky that I get a little bit more in the summer, but like any other vacation time I had was spent on tour and I wanted to start spending my vacation with my husband and visiting our family and going places we wanted to go and not just touring. And so other people in the band felt that way too. And so we talked about how like we had started the band as a local band and it's amazing that we've accomplished what we have and let's end it on a high note and call it quits. Um, And then we just extended that a little bit longer with this second record. So it's going to be sad. I'm going to be really sad when it's over because – you know, the people in that band are some of my best friends. Um, and I do enjoy spending time with them. But I think, you know, I'm 42 now and I'm ready to to move on <laughs> from touring. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you've done it. You've played everywhere. Yeah, exactly. We did. We did more than we ever expected. We're doing more than we ever expected. And it's so cool. But I would love to like get to go to Europe and like go to one place in Europe for a few days and like see things and do things. And I would love to be able to go see my parents in Virginia and during my spring break instead of, you know, like I'm not going to see them because we're touring the whole week. You know, I thought about making our East Coast tour shorter so that I could go see my parents for a few days because they're just getting older. And those are just, that's just where my priorities are now. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, uh, we're ending on a high note, and we are ending with a great final LP. So uh, thank you. That's a that's a good way to go out. Thank you so much. Of course. Well, Kat, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, I only discovered you recently, and I really like what I hear. 
and I wish you and the band all the best this final year of your performances. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And there you have it. Cat L. Great conversation. Very nice person. Sad to hear that the band is ending this year. I was looking online and saw that right before I talked to Cat on this conversation. So that's why I opened with it. I, I was not expecting that. But, you know, I understand her reasoning. She's using all of her time off to tour. And there's no break. You know, I, I can relate to that because I don't have any breaks lately. I mean, that's the way I want it right now. Will I want it that way forever? I don't know. You know, maybe I'll want more time to sit around as I creep further into old age. But the way things are going right now, I'm happy and I'm happy for Kat and the band. You know, they've done a lot in their six years as a band. And again, check out the latest record, Your Life and Nothing Else. Really good stuff. Really nice person. I was glad that she shared everything she did about uh, her mental health journey. I like to tell those stories on this show in the event that they can help somebody else because look, I've been through it. She's been through it. Everybody's been through it in some form or another. So whatever we can do to get the word out there and help people, I want to do it. Yeah, but a great conversation. So thank you, Kat. That was awesome. So let's check in, huh? How are we doing now? It's been a minute since I've checked in with you because we've had some jam-packed, great shows with great guest co-hosts, right? Huh? How about that Converge episode? That was a good one. A lot of you are listening to it, and I'm very happy about that. Same with Spencer's episode from Under Oath. Many people are listening to it, and we love that. And you know what? Many people will listen to this episode too, and we love that. So the show is doing really well. I'm happy about that. You'll find out about those soon enough. And... As we know, I'm in the Darling Fire now. I'm very happy about that, so let me tell you the story. Okay, the Darling Fire played New York City in January. They opened for Silent Drive, right? Casey hit me up from Iodine and said he's going to the show. Or he asked me if I'm going, and I said, yes, of course, let's go. So I went to the show, and I saw the band, right? And afterwards, I'm talking to Geronimo, who's the guitar player of the Darling Fire. And I had heard that they're bass player and drummer left. So I'm talking to Geronimo about that. And I, you know, I happened to mention that I play guitar and bass. And he's like, hey, well, do you want to play bass? We need somebody. And my first instinct was to say no right away, which I didn't though. I, I was just like, uh, uh, I, you know, my, the gears were spinning. I didn't know what to say or what to do, but I stopped and I remembered every story I've ever heard on this show, right? All the bands I've spoken to, all the opportunities taken, all the risks taken, this is one of those moments for me. So I didn't say no, I didn't chicken out, and I said to Geronimo, let me sleep on it, I'll get back to you this weekend. So I went home, I didn't sleep at all, because I was up all night thinking about this, and then I called him and Jolie that weekend, and I said, yes, I want to do it, let's do it. So they had uh, video playthroughs of every song on bass, which is great because, you know, if you listen to the album, Distortions, in terms of bass guitar, it doesn't sound 
too crazy. You know, I was like, oh, I can just listen to it on Spotify and figure it out. I'll be fine. But I started watching the videos and I was like, oh my God, this is pretty intricate stuff. So it took me six weekends to learn six songs. You know, things are exceptionally busy. My day job is super busy. I'm still working on another band that I'm starting. And uh, it took me about six weeks to get all the parts down for the set. And then another two weeks after that of drilling it every day to, to make sure I've got it down pretty tight. So we all plan to meet up in Baltimore, right? The new drummer, John, who joined the band, he happens to live right here in Brooklyn with me. That's convenient, right? So I met up with him. We drove down to Baltimore to meet up with the rest of the band. And uh, we started playing the set. And from the first time we played it, it sounded great. And it only got better from there. It was a great time. It was great hanging out. It was just a fun weekend, drilling the set, hanging out. You know, it felt like old times again. And this is really happy for me because, yes, I, you know, I have been in other bands. You know, uh, you've heard me talk about it on the show. I put out a record in 2017. I've been working on this other band since 2019. But I haven't played bass in a band since 2016. So it was cool doing that again because that's how I got my start. And it was cool playing with people again and playing a full set. And we were scheduled to play two gigs this past weekend, one in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and one in Manassas, Virginia. But they got canceled because several of the band members are sick. So unfortunately, there's nothing we could do about it. We do have a week of shows coming up in June in the Southeast with the great spotlights. So I'm very excited to get out there, get on the road, and start playing some live music again. It's going to be a lot of fun being in a band again and doing a little bit of touring because I've never done that before. I've only played locally and I've been on tour with bands, but like as a merch guy or like a management type of position, but never playing in a band touring. So I can check that off my bucket list. Really stoked and really stoked to be doing it with the Darling Fire because they're an excellent band. And since uh, my plans got canceled this whole weekend, I just took time for me. I, I was not feeling good Friday night. I was in a bad mood because I was not feeling good. So I stayed home. I canceled everything and I just hung out and relaxed. And that's exactly what I needed to do. I did a live stream Saturday, played some Warzone Caldera. I have not done a live stream since December. So that was really fun. And best news of all, I got a win during the stream on Saturday. And nothing feels better than a Warzone win. You've heard me say that, and it still holds true. And I'm, you know, I'm feeling better now. I was afraid I had COVID again, but it looks like that's not the case. So that's it. We're moving into a new week. More will be revealed, right? But you can look forward to more great guests on this show. We have got a lot of excellent shows coming up, and I can't wait for you to hear them. I'm going to end the show with my musical recommendation from last week, because I've been listening to it again, and this song is hitting me hard. The band is Bouquet featuring Kayak Jones. The song is Tire Swing. It's from the EP Cardinal. I hope you enjoy it. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.